Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry. And it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Phil Luce. Phil is the Managing Director of Integrity Music Europe, one of the biggest Christian music labels in the world, responsible for publishing some of the church's best-known worship songs, including Great Are You, Lord, 10,000 Reasons, Here I Am to Worship, Blessed Be Your Name, and The Lion and the Lamb, and of course, many others that you can hear right here on Premier Christian Radio. Phil, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you here, and um, great to be able to talk about all things worship and more. Absolutely. I want to start by talking about uh, your life growing up. Tell mm. me a bit about your early life. Did you grow up in a Christian family? I did have an amazing, supportive Christian family, Sam. Yeah, we, we grew up in Essex, and um, just reflecting back on that, you know, we were part of local churches. Uh, we were part of crusader groups, which was very, very formative for us, having lots of fun. Uh, but yeah, we were brought up in the church. We were brought up probably with the idea that drum kits are probably not the best thing <laughs> and that maybe we shouldn't wear jeans on a Sunday. Oh, controversial. <coughs> well, Absolutely. it's controversial now, but of course, back in those days, was this pretty normal? Well, I think it was normal in the church that I was at. But the, the controversy came when you tried to maybe uh, push the envelope a little bit on a Sunday morning and maybe see how you, how close you can get to actually wearing what you wanted to wear. <laughs> and then I remember there would be like a youth Sunday on you know, once a month. And, and for some reason it was allowed then for it to be a little bit louder mm. and maybe a guitar to be plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, back in the day, eh, it was that was uh, obviously only five years ago. I'm not very old. So. <laughs> where, did, uh, where did playing the piano come into this? I hear you're quite the pianist. I had a friend... Um, yeah, I had a friend who played the piano, and he was a little bit older than me. And I wa- and I really looked up to him, and I thought I want to play the piano. And uh, I didn't actually know that my mum and dad played the piano at that time, but they'd all been brought up. And my mum's an amazing violinist, dad's an incredible piano player, and organist as well. He played with his feet, very talented, um, as well as his hands. And um, and so I, I was like, I, I want to learn to play the piano. And so they found me a uh, a piano teacher. And then it was into the rigmarole of years and years of half-hour piano practices yeah. and scale practices and all the things. And then I remember my mum saying, I know you hate that bit, Phil, but if you keep doing your scales, yeah. that's the bit that will really stand you in good stead. And yeah. of course, being a young person, I'd say, oh, mum, you don't know anything. <laughs> but of course, it turns out that she did know everything. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's what happened. And so I was playing in church for the for the you know Sunday school, uh, there are hundreds of millions, thousands of sparrows. I think was one of the songs I remember. <laughs> Obviously, not probably played on premier anymore. Probably but, not. So, but we were back in the day. It was all of those wonderful songs and early songs of fellowship songs as well. Okay, yeah, it's interesting for what I do today. So yeah, so it sounds like Christian music was right there from the yeah. beginning of your life. Sheila Walsh, Martin Joseph. Uh, we could go right back, couldn't we? Wow. I mean, it was amazing time. Vinyl, of course. Um, Bryn Howarth. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so, so what at what age do you think uh, you had any kind of inkling that you might grow up and want to do kind of Christian music for for a living? Well, you—that's a great point because it's a question that makes me just stop. Because I actually think that growing up, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. 
And there is the, you go to school, you hopefully do some GCSEs. You, you hope that you might do an A-level or two, and maybe you can get to go to university, and then there's a role after that. Well, when I grew up, it was university or polytechnic, number one. In fact, there was another option, which was university, polytechnic, or nothing. And it, and it was fine if you didn't go. And so I was left there floundering a little bit, not really sure, um, but there was a part of me being a Christian and having grown up from becoming a Christian with Crusaders, actually, on a holiday with Crusaders, now called Urban Saints, and it was the sense of mission it was a sense of evangelism and it was a sense of gathering people and it was a sense of because i've been playing in bands and worship bands and with worship leaders and traveling for six months my local church says phil could you come and work with us because you can for six months go and do what we call itinerant work music but for six months could you come and do that for us and maybe look after our worship teams. And I got to the local church in Essex, in Chelmsford, and I realised that two or three years out of school, out of A-levels, out of sixth form, um, the church was um, struggling for me to be able to invite my own friends mm-hmm. that I'd only said goodbye to a couple of years ago. And still in, I, I just couldn't invite them because it wasn't that it was irrelevant, it was just difficult for me to invite them because it didn't feel appropriate. So... Um, this is where music and everything came together because I was like, right, I'm beginning to get a sense now of what we could do. If we bring music together and if we bring somebody who can really share a succinct 20-minute talk and if we maybe, and I'm going back now to 1991, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, this was just before Cutting Edge with Delirious mm-hmm. and Martin Smith and those guys um, or around that time. And I was like, well, if, if we get a smoke machine... <laughs> <laughs> Smoke machine and solve everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a bouncy castle in the church, that would be fun. And so we did all these things, and it, and it actually turned into, I remember that first night of opening where we were nervous, um, that they came out of the evening service at the church, finished at half seven, and then somebody runs in and says, Phil, 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 I know, I know, I know you've put 100 chairs out in the church to, for this youth service that you, you're running, but there's, there's 250 people queuing wow. up outside. You've got to take the chairs out completely. <laughs> And so, and so that was kind of where, maybe to answer yes. your question, and I'm almost expressing it to help me think that through. Sure. It's like, that's where maybe a calling comes, that if you, if you can put music and you can put evangelism, and if you can put the Word of God strong within all those three things, you have an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I can't preach, but my friend Ian Henderson and Dennis Peathers back in the day, um, they could. Mm. So Dennis, could you preach? Ian, yeah. could, you, could you do some And you were teaching? sort of setting this up? Yes, with a, with a big schools team around it as well. You mentioned that word calling. I'd love to yeah. ask you now, what, how would you define that calling for you where you're at at the moment? I think I look back and see where God has taken me and I look forward and I know that he is with me. But I love the journey of calling because it's not always absolutely clear about the next steps, but that in faith you take them and then the light turns on. And, I'm, and that has been where my life has been yeah. because I, I feel as if I've gone on a journey and a friend Malcolm who was a youth pastor worked with me back in the church he said he said Phil I think God's going to get you where he wants you to be irrespective of your own who you are I think he's going to get you there anyway because it felt as if you we were not sure where God was taking us but we had a vague idea of the direction 
So now it's only in looking back that I see the plan. Right. So calling for me has often been looking back and seeing what God has done and an acknowledgement to keep going until I hear otherwise. Mm. So you wouldn't kind of sum it up as, I feel my calling is X, Y, Z. It's more kind of theoretical than that. Well, I like to see other people enabled. I like to see people break through glass ceilings. I like to see ministry enabled. I like to see a sense where, um, in what I do at the moment, that young people and middle-aged people and people like me, um, through worship songs actually walk into church feeling one thing and this is where i think feelings are okay you know because they're also facts (laughs) but the feelings of going in when we come out of church i want to be part of somebody just feeling a bit better because they've met with the lord they met with jesus uh, they have been helped in some way on their journey it always felt that if you go into church looking worse than when you went in we got a big problem (laughs) and it wasn't all about smiley faces because that's unrealistic but the sense of a journey of people that says i want to be part of helping you today and every day experience jesus for me now through through songs but because I want to be part of helping you. Yeah. So yeah. So we left the story with you setting up the room and putting 100 chairs out and 250 <laughs> kids turning up. So tell me what happened next. Well, it was, <laughs> well, it was fun. I mean, that, that event went on till um, the early 2000s. And this was a youth event you were running youth in event Chelmsford? Monthly. It was called No Compromise. I'd read Keith Green's book, No Compromise. It had been quite a challenge. And so we said, well, let's set up an event which is for Christians, young people to to not compromise their faith. Oh, let's call it as a working title, no compromise. <laughs> it will never stick. And that's <laughs> one. And as you, as what happens in these days, of course, it's stuck. And it was called no compromise for years, and it ran monthly. But the the wonderful thing about that was that it was not set up to be a youth church. It wasn't set up to to steal people from other churches. It was merely a, a resource that a large church could put on that mm. said to everybody in the surrounding area, look, it's it's for you. Please, if you want to, be a, be a part of it. It was what I call a stumbling strategy because it was birthed out of the idea, as I said, of just how can I invite my friends to something and it feels vaguely like they might turn up. Um, and so we just kept doing it. It wasn't a plan to grow, although it eventually led to... Um, in Chelmsford, there was a thing called the Chelmsford Spectacular, which was on a week... exciting. Oh, it's amazing. There's a big park called Highlands Park. And on one weekend, the local borough council would put on the classic orchestra and, you know, you'd take your picnic hamper and it was amazing. And the, and the weekend prior to that, the Virgin Rock Festival would turn up. So you had wow. this week of events, which yeah. was stunning. Um, but I went to the council and I said, so in the middle of that week, you've got the V Festival weekend one, you've got the spectacular weekend two, you've got all that gear, you've got all that stage... <laughs> can we use it for a big Christian event? (laughs) And I actually came to Premier, talked to the people here, and they said, yeah, we'd love to support you in that. We'd love to help you advertise it. And I'm going back so far that I needed all the help I could get. I mean, (laughs) Sam, I was was turning up to record labels, hiring a car and putting a suit on because I felt like I needed to impress people. And when I get there to say, please, could we have some of your bands? Because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I suddenly realised that they're all like, you know, lounging back in their jeans and t-shirts and they're actually going yeah yeah you can i mean i had plans of the park and it was like it's going to be like this but they were wonderfully supportive um all wow. of those people and they're still doing what they do today those people and so you so put we on this big event christian event yeah. in Chelmsford, and that was delirious was and it? um worldwide message tribe as well Nice. Yeah, it was an amazing moment. And a couple of other bands too. It's Supported just by the good people at Premiere of the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> what year is this? This is the 90s, oh, is it? Goodness me. Do you know what? I think it was 97. Yeah, I was a church leader at the time. I was. Oh, it, it became in Chelmsford. I was there for 15 years. So, so tell me about uh, that time as, as ministry and uh, what, what it's really like being it's really a pastor. Like, <laughs> I think it's the most fantastic role anyone can ever have 
if it is what God has called you to do. I think it is where every single emergency service collides. I think it's where life begins to make some level of sense and it's where you can journey with people through the whole of it. And the only downside, and the, and you can laugh at all of this, stuff, but the only downside is funerals. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because, because, because when you do life with people, <laughs> you have the most amazing times yeah. and you really do do life with people through church I, I love the Rick Warren mentality I, I think he said you know he's I'm, I'm here forever chaps it's fine I'm just going to be with you I'm just going to journey with you yeah. I'm not going to travel around different church I'm going to mm. be with you and do life and yeah. I, I subscribe to that I love yeah. that idea which made it hard to leave actually right yeah. with some of the relationships I had it took me a while but um, but joking aside, that time in life, which is probably the most precious and where you're involved in um, saying goodbye to somebody, mm. wow, that's difficult. Mm. That's hard. So, but yeah, that's 15 years, wow. wonderful years, great team. 15 years of ministry. And, um, and then the move to, to ICC yeah. uh, Records. Is that a move out of ministry or do you not see it that way? Brilliant question. Uh, no, uh, n- never. Ministry is, is who you are not what you do and so wherever you go you have the opportunity to complete that ministry or to continue in that ministry um in the church i was looking after the worship team what a great bunch looking back fantastic and i'd taken them to a conference uh, in eastbourne which um outside of london i believe eastbourne's where god lives (laughs) the cultural center of the universe (laughs) it might might well be Um, but i'd gone down there for a conference called worship together and I'd taken them, all of our musicians down there, because obviously for a weekend away, wonderful. Um, the training, equipping, camaraderie, bit of fun. Um, and some just brilliant musicianship if you're a musician as well as fantastic songs. Um, and I met a friend of mine down there called Adrian Thompson. Now, just to loop back, <clears throat> when I was about 19, you mentioned piano playing. I'd uh, done an album, a CD, with a worship leader called Derek Bond. Fantastic chap. He said, would you come and play on my CD? Well, I was 19 or 20 or something. And I, so I, I'm like, you know, this could be the only time I ever get to be on a CD. I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> so I go down to ICC Studios in Eastbourne and I meet somebody called Adrian Thompson, who was in a band called Split Level. And uh, I, I, I did this CD in the week and um, said to Adrian, thank you so much, like you would, you know, you yeah. give me an opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's really get, good to get to know you and so on. And uh, he said, great, well, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll call you again, you know. Well, he did call me again. So for those 15 years, right. I get—I bet every year I was, I don't know how many, I've never counted, quite a lot of session work on many, 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 many albums. Right, so you're going down and you're playing in record studios. Yeah, and getting to know people. Adrian and the ICC guys and all of that. And, yeah. and again, wonderful bunch of people. Um, we then went to worship together and I saw Adrian and I said, mate, it's like coming home when I come in. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, the next week he phones up. He says, Phil, he said, you mentioned it's like coming home. Do you want to make it your home? We've got an opportunity at ICC. And uh, that was the moment for me, actually, because it was like, oh, actually, this is a question that requires an answer. And this answer is important because I'm traveling and journeying with people. And so your question of does ministry stop or continue? I had to work it through. Now, no compromise. The event had come to a uh, a natural end it hadn't compromised i hope <laughs> no not at all <laughs> and it was it was just it was a natural time to stop it a good one like that um, but then it was it was like if i move on what does it mean okay if we're reaching a thousand young people a month one to one or 1500 whatever it was on a monthly basis is it possible that music can travel further is it possible that i could be involved in a team where we and I was only thinking small numbers, but can we sell 5,000 CDs to 5,000 different people? And does that mean that the ministry impact 
has maybe exponentially increased mm. and we can still leave all the youth events that then came out of no compromise they can be dealt with by all the other people is this an opportunity for that so i saw it more as i think this is a way for music and songs and the content and the substance of that to travel and i wonder if this is where right. you know i so we we said yes as a family and moved yes. down. so yeah. I, so icc for those who don't know is really quite a well-known kind of music studio particularly in the christian world it seems to be where historically a lot of christian records are being mm-hmm. put together and you, you mentioned martin smith earlier of delirious mm-hmm. and i think one of his first jobs was working at uh, yeah. icc wasn't he was it? one of the studio engineers down at icc so it's kind of been yeah. this sort of central place for a lot of christian musicians to kind of congregate and do worship music yeah um tell me about it when you turned up what sort of state was it in and what what was your sort of role well i mean it, the, the word vibe i don't know how many of you relate to the word vibe but the feel of the place and the um, the history of the place yeah. and the legacy that it that it already had then and the people that ran it and helmut kaufman and peter martin and all, all of those people that had nurtured something um over the years and had pioneered from like two track to four track to eight track to 16 and they'd sweated to do it and recorded spoken word talks all around the country for years i mean this was the epitome of, of christian it was like ministry it was spoken word and it was music and it was a residential studio people could come down they could live there they could be by the beach they could write songs and yeah as you say i mean uh, i won't start naming all the people because it just you're, you're gonna leave loads out but pretty much everybody <laughs> anyone yeah anyone you can think of who is well yeah. known in that kind of time yeah. you know for recording christian music probably went to icc at absolutely point. right neil costello was the studio manager when I, when I was there and actually neil's working on a record for us today as it oh, happens wow. um but yeah just so talented all of these people so what was your role there well i went in there as business development guy so the idea was you know how can we network and how can we grow more and let people know what we do it's, it's very obvious what that kind of role is but um just as i joined and i was looking forward to working with adrian thompson this this person uh he said to me well phil he said i'm really glad you're here and we're going to be in the same town (laughs) because we've been working together for years on these piano sessions you know he said but um kingsway music have asked if i'd go and help run survivor records right so i said oh agent so i'm going to turn up and you're going to leave (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't seem very fair (laughs) the thing is we're still you know we were two rows from each other we go to the same church hanging out in each other's house it was wonderful as friendships but i was like okay fair enough so then adrian left that role of running the record label so i went to um our, our boss peter and i said peter look adrian's left and um he was going to go to Nashville next year to look to do the Gospel Music Week. Um, I think someone needs to go, but would you let me go and sit in this seat and look after the record label um, to, to see how it goes? Because I, I just thought, well, I'd love to give it a go because I'm into music and maybe that's a need of the organisation. And would you would you trust me with that for now? Peter was very gracious and he said, "Yeah, you know, we're all here to help. So go and sit in the seat and um, and, and see what you can do." And, and of course, uh, he also enabled me to go to America for that that year after. And so Kingsway Music was, was on one hand, a competitor of ICC, mm-hmm. both in Eastbourne yep. and sort of working in similar ways. Yeah. But I just want to reference the fact that when I went to America that first year, many people from Kingsway who were already going phoned me up. One person in particular, somebody you'll know, called Les Moyer. Les Moyer He's says, been on this very program, has Les Moyer. Yeah, Les is incredible. And um, and Les says, Phil, what, what, what's your flight? I'm going, I'll change my flight, and I'll show you the ropes. And that, for me, encompasses what the Christian music community is, uh, particularly here in, in the UK. Yeah, you just wouldn't get that in the mainstream music 
world, would you? You wouldn't well, get one record company saying to a, a, someone in another record company, oh, you're coming out to do similar work to me, let me help you. It's, <laughs> well, it's a bit it, more competitive than that, isn't it? Well, I suspect so. I mean, I've not worked in that world, and I, and I suspect there's wonderful people in, in that world too. But for me, my, my yeah, my expectation, my, my, it was a little surprise to me that, uh, you know, I, mean, I didn't know Les. I mean, I was new in, the, I was new in Eastbourne. Yeah. Um, and this was Les Moyer, you know, just saying, I'll give you a hand. And I thought, well, that's really kind because, do you know what? We'll we'll be fine doing what we do out there, but yeah. it'd be really great that we're doing it together and at least having someone I can call to tell where Starbucks is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere, I think the answer is to that question. <laughs> so that's what happened there. And then, yeah, that was the role there. And then that developed into uh, working with the publishing team there and, and the studio team. Right. And then we merged that with Spring Harvest. Um, and then that developed into... All sorts of resources for Spring Harvest and books and DVDs and music as well and their live records. That was a lovely season, right? Uh, event, incredible event. So, that what was... came next? Well, after that, we um, Spring Harvest was a wonderful. I mean, I love events. I mean, I mean, come on, how much fun is it <laughs> to go with people that you enjoy working with and be a part of events where, yes, on the one hand, you've got these large tents or large venues and the sound is incredible because these guys come in and put these amazing PA systems in and it's not about that but it's lovely as a musician <laughs> being a piano player you know to actually go come on guys you are brilliant musicians play and they yes. play and it's like they, you guys are amazing God has given you a gift it's such a blessing to hear you play there's a friend of mine Dan Borum just brilliant guitar player and I remember thinking you know some of these guitarists and, and very gifted musicians mm. in church, they, over over t- over history, they've been told to can you just can you just calm it down a bit? Yeah, can you turn it down? Can you turn it down? Or can you not play a solo? Or can you not? Sorry, play- I speak as a slightly frustrated guitar player. I have to say, <laughs> with my comment there about turn it down. But let's be honest, it happens sometimes <laughs> in church. Happens to the best of us, though. even keyboard players sometimes. <laughs> get that. Uh, but it was it was for me. It was like when when Dan would play, it felt like there didn't need to be any words. But the Holy Spirit was in his um, in was in him. Mm. I was I was about to say in his fingers playing a guitar, but that's the Holy Spirit's in him. <laughs> and what was coming out of his fingers as he played solos and as yeah. he played the guitar was just so worshipful. It was extraordinary. Mm. So just reflecting back maybe on the comment around Spring Harvest and great musicianship and it not necessarily being what it's all about, I think I'd like to reference that great musicianship has intrinsically built within it the Holy Spirit. Mm. And the Holy Spirit sounds in the music. So some of us have got to learn to let our musicians... If we don't understand music, we're not a musician ourselves as a leader, you need to find somebody in the local church who does because mm. someone needs to say to the person who can play brilliantly, please play brilliantly and don't feel bad about that. God yeah. has given you a gift in the same way that he's given somebody a gift to paint a picture that's very yeah. obvious or whatever. And I think that's quite a challenge for us nowadays because it's not about the not spotlight. Not everyone understands that. Yeah. They don't understand that. But, but, but wow, what a gifting Dan had and still does. Events are amazing places, of course, because young people, middle-aged people and the rest of us, <laughs> we find the Lord again and we get reminded once again of our faith and we get encouraged and equipped and families get restored and, and yeah. relationships. So you moved you know. into working on events? I loved it. Well, with Spring Harvest, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was... It doesn't cool. get much bigger than an event like Spring Harvest. Well, it was a great season and... Um, Spring Harvest through all the other things it used to do uh, and still does with recording spoken word uh, able us to actually be part of all sorts of other events like you know New Wine or Keswick or uh, Detling all sorts of things so we got a little bit of an overview as a team of different flavours of the of the Christian arena mm. 
um, and different expressions of it. And yeah. it was a great season for sort of five years, I think, we were merged with them, till I then moved on. You moved on to Integrity? Yes, I did. And uh, Integrity Music, wonderful family uh, of people. So, I mean, Integrity, I said in the introduction that you have to hmm. correct, if, correct if I'm wrong on this, but as far as I can tell, Integrity Music is probably one of, if not the biggest, uh, Christian music labels in the world now. Yeah, one it? of, if not the biggest, is, is a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, is it, I mean, yeah, I guess I stumble around this a little bit because... Um, because everyone's got a part to play, and over the over the sense of time, organisations grow and evolve, and and they get maybe more mature, and and then size it becomes what is viewable from the outside. Of course, um, what I see from the inside are a bunch of committed. I, I'm going to say called, just to reference your thing, but called people who are searching for talented people that God has called to write songs, and then and we still struggle with the same struggles, even though we've got scale, you know or size and we still struggle with the ethical or not ethical but the theological questions around lyric or we struggle with all these things mm. and we tease that out as a team um, so yeah. some of the you know there'll be some very well-known people who who work with you some of the big sort of name worship leaders like paul Balosh, um or uh, or matt Redman or, or martin smith or whoever who've, who've worked with integrity in the past should we think of integrity as a record label or a publishing house or a charity because i understand that there's a there's a charitable element to all this as well yeah no it's good um, I would prefer that you thought of Integrity Music as a ministry. Um, uh, the word ministry has got 52 different... <laughs> you know, somebody will think of that as a as a, a not helpful word, others will find it helpful. But, I, you know, Integrity Music is a business. Integrity Music is a charity. Integrity Music is a ministry. Um, integrity Music, though, ultimately seeks to try and help people in their faith and so I've because I come out of that church background and the music and the worship team background I, I do see this as the natural progression but we're a publisher so we publish songs we find songs we curate songs sometimes we help people to think more about what God is doing in the broader church and then we try and achieve things with people like putting them in the same room we can't tell them what song to write you know but it's like you don't I stand speak. over their shoulder no, no far from it we just let them get on with it and of course now with skype and everything <laughs> it's, it's happening everywhere but that sense of um who would work well together and mm. can we put you together and then if you guys get together and over the course of time as you get to know each other in your journeys of faith what song is it that god is birthing in you and um and we'd love to hear that song yeah and so i think we're a publisher who curates songs and then now and then we put them on a record mm. because we a record is one way um historically one way digital now but it's it's one way of have, allowing that song to travel in september 2018 uh, michael w smith did a really big concert at the bridgestone arena in nashville we were on facebook watching <laughs> and and we heard him doing a song called stir a passion which is worship century yeah well, back in September, um, that song's not been out very long. No, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that song would have been would be known to people here through the summer events. Yeah, uh, but it probably you know, still quite that, fresh, still yeah, quite new now. Even. Exactly. Yeah. And so, the beautiful thing for a publisher is to be able to see what God is birthing in a certain part of the world, and and then be part of the process that allows it so that people like Michael can discover it in other parts of the world and it resonates with who they are and they're like, this has grabbed me. I'm Sam Hales. You're listening to my interview with Phil Luce from Integrity Music. We'll be back to hear more from Phil right after this. 
After growing his Californian congregation from 30 members to 6,000, Francis Chan turned his back on the American megachurch model. Look at churches, there are so many who exist that are not making disciples. People are not getting baptized and yet they're spending a fortune. How is it then that the underground church in China grew to 100 million people? Inspired by churches in Asia, the acclaimed preacher believes he's now promoting a more authentic expression of Christianity. Read the full interview with Francis Chan exclusively in this month's Premier Christianity magazine. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian monthly publication. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest edition, it features Francis Chan with some really fascinating thoughts on church. He's the pastor who actually left his own megachurch and he will explain why he did that and more about the new model of church that he's pursuing. It's all in the latest issue of the magazine. Why not request a free copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Time now to rejoin the conversation that I have been having with Phil Luce from Integrity Music. Let's listen in to the rest of our conversation. We're a publisher that makes that makes records, and and we're trying to help the church, you know, with with their yeah. with their worship. I mean, songs. this happens in the in the mainstream world as much as it does the Christian. But it is it is quite interesting how someone who's not very well known will write a song, and then someone who has uh, you know a level of popularity in the Christian scene will re-record it or will do it, and then suddenly that song will blow up. I mean, this has happened. Chris Tomlin comes to mind as someone who will often use other people's songs and then releases them and everyone thinks it's a Chris Tomlin track when actually <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> maybe it wasn't well absolutely and it's and it's very and it's very generous of those people to be able to say look I want to support you in the song that you've written and um, as it happens many people know who I am and so I'd like to sing your song because I really think it needs to be reaching more people and I think that's a really generous way of the community of songwriters sort of self-supporting sharing, yeah. sharing songs with each other yeah but why do some worship songs travel and others don't beyond what we've just talked about you know is this just a god thing that that god kind of breathes on a song and then suddenly everyone's singing it oh well it's a profound question isn't it and i think i think it's the one that if you've got an answer you'd, you'd bottle it and sell it right because it's your job right well well you know it's one of those things i say that tongue-in-cheek but yeah. part of your job is to try and get these songs more well known throughout yeah, the world and i guess um, what you're saying is it's just impossible to judge sometimes yeah. which ones those are going to be well your your question is 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 a strong strong question it's a good question because it is how do you know which song is gonna you know how and, and the answer is well you you don't but the beautiful thing about what we do in the ministry side of it is that if we did it would be like really bad right because because then you're getting into a situation where you know let's throw the right ingredients in the cake and we always make a chocolate cake yeah. well that's not remotely interesting is it because that's process and that's really for a creative and for you and me actually that's really boring (laughs) you want the lord jesus himself to speak to somebody to challenge somebody the holy spirit to be present in that room you want a spark to arise and then you as a publisher or you as a radio presenter or you as a person in the pew or whatever you're doing driving your car you want a song to hit you 
And you go, how in the world did you manage to come up with those words that in such a short space of time have connected with my heart and my head? You've, it's resonating. You've caused an emotional reaction in me. I'm worshipping the Lord. This is incredible. Your gifting's outrageous. And then, of course, that. but that's who, who integrity music gets to work with. And so we sort of sit back and go, how did you do that? <laughs> and sometimes we find ourselves going, how did you do that? again <laughs> because some of these gifted you go oh, do you know what and then and then even me scurries back and you get a pencil and a bit of paper out and you go it can't be that difficult <laughs> and of course you discover it really is that difficult it's no yeah. different to those of us that can't paint who and who long to is it's not easy just to get a paint box and paint a picture you need gifting yeah and so i think for me the answer to that question is that we look at what god is doing with songs and we'll record many and we'll have an idea because of anthems travel or some songs have got certain things and you can you can kind of make an assessment up to a point same way that you would Sam actually but it still surprises you sometimes mm. as to where they come from or what the church goes for yeah. or, or or what you know as a keyboard player I love slightly gospel-y uh, chords and all of these kind of structures and I like it, very in, interesting stuff maybe somebody else in a different musical uh, tradition appreciates a different style mm. or a different type of melody yeah um some people love dance music. Some people love rock. All of that. So yes. there's a lot there. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned Les Moyer earlier in this interview, and I, yeah. I said you know he's been on the profile before. He came on to talk about his book, The Missing Jewel, and mm. this was a book uh, based on this phrase by A. W. Tozer, who said a long time ago now that worship is the missing jewel in the crown of the evangelical church. And mm. Les's book really makes the argument for how that problem has been overcome, and we now sit here and we're referencing all these songs and all mm. these artists, and we're talking about integrity music, publishing them, yeah. and suddenly we've got this whole world of, of Christian music that's been birthed in relatively recent history mm -hmm. and I think you know you, you must find yourself sitting back and just sort of surveying the landscape and thinking wow you know so much of this uh, this world did not exist even uh, 40 or 50 years ago yeah it's, it's um, people have become aware media's increased the pace of um, travel of everything increases um, you know I, I, I suspect I could be in America listening to Premier Radio on my phone you could indeed there you go and I sometimes listen in the UK to a, a radio station called Way FM out of Nashville it keeps me up to speed with what they're doing so the world's got on the one hand we think the world's got smaller <laughs> it hasn't but we think it has just because we hear things faster so there's a proliferation I think there's been an expectation amongst local churches that we're saying right we, we would love to sing How Great Thou Art that's fantastic but what is our song and i think that has led to local church worship leaders uh wonderfully writing their own songs and of course some of those songs get picked up and they start to travel les's uh you mentioned les one of les's phrases is you know some songs are for jerusalem some are for samaria and some are for the ends of the earth uh, i was at church recently and uh, they have the most amazing new building uh thing attached to their church and they've obviously gone through a lot of blood sweat and tears and sacrifice to be able to raise the money to build what is an amazing resource to reach more people with the gospel and i just made a point i said has anybody written a song to thank god about that um and of course there was a little smile and i'm like no seriously because i'm a publisher and i'm involved in songs but the song for jerusalem mm. is really key and you might want to write a celebration song because you have you have absolutely lived this journey and it hasn't been an easy one but mm. now look i I'm, I'm here and i'm going this is amazing so i think the challenge um um locally and globally is that many many people 
I've started to write songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah. tell me, what does the um, what does the average week look like for the managing director of Integrity? We, we go in on Monday at nine o'clock. We have a prayer time for nine to nine thirty, and we have we use a video conferencing. Uh, we have about uh, how many people? I think we'll have fourteen people in the UK office. We've got Matt Marvain in France, who works with us there, amazing chap, and Marcus in Germany. And so they'll come online, um, and we have Duncan in Bristol, I must, he'll be listening to this, <laughs> uh, he's in the UK, and, and Jen as well in, in London. And so they'll all come on, and we'll just share. So basically it's like, okay guys, let's pray for what's really important this morning, beginning mm. of the week. But then we're into it, and people have got their lives to lead, they've got, they've got meetings to have, they've got opportunities, they've got songs to listen through to, they've got artists to connect with, writers to connect with, they've got encouragement to bring, maybe they've got um, some difficult meetings they've got to work through too, just as they steer things. And then on a Wednesday, all of our teams come together. So Wednesday is our day where we say, everyone's in, everyone come in, if you can, possibly, all be in. Because at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, America comes online, our, our family in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, which isn't just the home of country music, but it's the home of Christian the music too. The home of Christian music, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. And they, they'll join us. And then we'll, from actually sometimes around two o'clock, but certainly three o'clock, we'll be all on for our video conferencing. In fact, that happens most afternoons, to be honest. We have meetings going on. So uh, we'll do that. But then, of course, the A&R team that stands for um, Artists and Repertoire. I heard it stood for airports and restaurants. <laughs> so it is absolutely true. Because <laughs> that that was, I should say, that was somebody who will go uh, remain nameless who work for integrity who was joking uh, but there is something amazing about everyone i know who works now and they are just constantly traveling and meeting people and it sounds oh. like it sounds like great fun to be honest with you Do you know what a and r is is the best of times and the worst of times because it is the cutting edge of a, of a music company it's the people that spend all the time with artists and, and and songwriters and helping creatives to really get to the grips with their gift um, but to do that means they have to travel quite a lot, which means the sacrifices, they're often away from mm, their families. Yeah. And the big sacrifice, as, as we all, we all uh, kind of understand, is the number of receipts that you have to then <laughs> resolve and everything. But yeah, I, I think A&R is, is a creative cutting edge of integrity music. And we're really blessed with mm. um, our A&R team. Yeah. But we, we'll do all of these things. And somewhere in the middle of this, we'll celebrate birthdays. And somewhere in the middle of this, we might grab a guitar and sing a song. Somewhere in the middle of this, we'll have pancake day. And somewhere in the middle of this, we'll do some fun stuff. But but our week is diverse because we've got, obviously, the financial side to always look after. We've got the publishing. We've got marketing. We've got sales. We've yeah. got new songs. Uh, we need to listen to music all the time. Yeah. As well. And as well, we should say, this isn't just uh, Integrity in the UK. You know, you, you head up Integrity Europe, Integrity Music Europe. So you mentioned you've got people in, in France. And, um, you know, we don't always talk enough, I think, sometimes um, about what God is doing kind of on our on our doorstep I think in, in the Christian world we talk a lot about the UK and we talk a lot about the US because obviously so many of our songs yeah, and yeah. so many well-known preachers are over there but we don't often hear a lot about Europe so I'd love to ask you what's what's God doing in Europe at the moment well we always used to look west for the reasons you say we can we can vaguely he said with a little smile vaguely speak the same language <laughs> we understand each other and we know that the church environment in the states is very developed Possibly in the UK, we look to the East and we say, well, I speak French and I speak a little bit of German or Spanish, but frankly, it's difficult to communicate because we all speak a different language. But what we're seeing God do in in what we would mainland Europe, if you like, is just amazing. I mean, Case Cryonald with his church in Veenendaal in Holland just staggering what God is doing there with people turning up saying I'd like to build you a building wow <laughs> and um, 
and so on. I mean, there's a loads of story there. You need to get him in and talk about that. There's a photograph of his church meeting in a car park because they couldn't use the warehouse because of bird flu one year and all these birds had to be kept safe in this warehouse. And so he says, meet in the car park, tune your radio to 90 whatever it is, point F- FM. We're doing church over the radio. Wow. CNN took a picture and it became one of CNN's pictures of the year of a church in Holland that met in the car park. And from that... You just need to go and visit Sam. It's God is doing an amazing thing. Then um, people say that France is a um, is a very what's secular the word? nation. Yeah, secular nation, and there's not much going on. And so you talk to Matt Marvan, our A and R guy out there, and he gently tears apart a tissue paper thin wall and shows you events and young people and thousands of people gathering, and this is what God is doing. Now I'm not saying it's easy. Oh my goodness, no, I'm not saying that. But it's just when you begin to talk to people in the local country, you find it's you and me, and they can show you what's going on in you. The Lord is here, Holy Spirit is here, worship is rising, and we need to be part of this. Yeah. Are there any songs that we're singing now? I mean, broadly, big songs that were, that were being sung in churches in the UK that have come from mainland Europe, or frankly, anywhere other than the UK and the Yeah, US? there's a song called Rise with the Roar that that's on the New Spring Harvest record and that's actually written by Case Crynord um and so that one is one of those new songs that will be birthed. But of course, the role of the publisher, which we've not touched on, is to do exactly what you say, because our heart integrity is to say, well, indigenous worship with people that are part of their local culture are where we are going. That is where we're at. That is what we want to see uh, come to the fore. And so the, the art of translation and the art of bringing a translation that's poetic and theological and is and actually stands up not just as a translation is what is what we are building with our websites mm. and with communities around the world to do that um but we're going to see more and more of that yeah um I mean, sometimes people say we need a, we need a bit more diversity even here in the UK. I mean, if, if we're to look at the artists signed to Integrity, vast majority of them, I think all but one really, are, are white. Um, is, is that an area that needs a bit more work? Yeah, I think that the interesting thing around um, where people come from is that Integrity Music itself are, are always looking for everybody. So we work with, with who knocks on our door, we work with what's going on. So there's there's definitely a, a concerted effort here to actually see what, what is God doing everywhere, not just in the mainstream UK church. Um, so working with artists, there's a great song uh, by Jake Isaac called Greater Than It All. Just stunning song. When you walk into um, Kingdom Worship Movement, Noel Robinson, he started singing the song, Jake did, <laughs> and then all the power went at the event. It's like, oh my goodness, that's a bit tricky. But it wasn't because everybody knew the song wow. and off they go. Yeah. And as a publisher and as somebody you know who loves that song, it's like, yeah, that's right. Mm. Lights are off. Power's gone. Doesn't matter. Everyone knows the song. Carol off we regardless. Go. Yeah. yeah, and Jake's brilliant. Noel too. I mean, no- Noel's incredible um, with all that he's doing. Boy, does that man travel and minister hard. So, But yes, diversity and the need for us to be as broad as we can and reference the, the whole church is is exactly where we're at. I mean, Les has spent years working in that area as well. So yeah, so watch this space for more. Do you think more Absolutely. diversity coming in in the future? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that there's a real calling on the young people. There's a maturity that's required. There's all of those things. But ultimately, I see young people now needing to rise up and step mm. forward yeah. um, to do new things. And maybe maybe this is part of the, the answer to the next question, because I'm sure you must have heard this as well. Quite often when I talk to 
younger people maybe in their sort of 20s or 30s there is a kind of christian contingent out there who who have the view rightly or wrongly that worship music all sounds the same mm. and it's uh, it's an acoustic guitar and as i say you know a white guy singing uh, g c and d you know simple chords throwing mm-hmm. an e minor if you're feeling particularly uh, adventurous <laughs> get you um and you know you must have heard this opinion uh, before is yeah. there is there any truth to that and if there is what's what's the answer to us getting a bit of a broader range of of musicality within our worship songs there's 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 loads here and it's all good is christian music a performance piece to be uh consumed or is it a song to be led to help people in local church so those of you that resonate with local church will know that if i if i came in and say guys we've got a monday night rehearsal uh who's who's here now i'm not suggesting that every single worship band in the UK is a poor worship band. But I'm saying it's limited to those people that have volunteered with their time. And so you have to work with what you've got, and that's the beauty mm. of the gospel. It's the yeah. beauty of church. But it does mean that if I walk in and go, right, guys, it's going to be a 13th and a 9th, major 7th, flat and 5th, diminished, whatever, right? It's like, <laughs> you're just going to, people are just going to cry. Right? <laughs> I'm going to be one of them, for the records. <laughs> I would not be able to handle that. And so I think... Um, not that creativity is limited to the chords you choose, <laughs> can I point out? But I think that there is a little balance here between yeah. an expectation that um, worship music or that you want to play in church up to a point. Mm. If that song needs to be sung by a lot of people, you certainly want it to be played by somebody that's competent but doesn't require to be um, genius level. Mm. And then there are other songs though where you push the envelope mm. um, and you'll and you'll hear actually on a CD you'll hear us really pushing it. But in a local church context, you want that to be just made accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's dance music and there's the use of loops and there's that competency which comes with that. Which, again, if we were always pitching that to people, then they'd say, well, you're just so far away from the local church, Sun True. So mm. I think on the one hand, it's one of those conversations that's worth definitely worth having continually. But on the other, I don't think there's a definitive answer because yeah. I think that different people approach the music as is it a resource for the local church or is it a performance piece to be taken in sometimes of course it is both because you have churches that can deliver everything but churches aren't really about a performance they need to be about something more Mm. you know uh, there's something more to it than that more than a smoke machine (laughs) (laughs) and so i think that's where that that that's an interesting conversation and we monitor that as well we're very careful because we don't want to we want to make sure our songs are accessible Mm. yeah i think that's definitely part of it isn't it that we we want to have songs that that people feel that they can actually play in a church but but linked to that i've had some really interesting conversations with people recently who uh, talk about a time in church which uh, is before my time let's say but in the in the 70s and the 80s and, and they'll remark on these incredible times of worship where i think a lot of the church was rediscovering the charismatic holy mm-hmm. spirit call it what you will and i hear these stories about you know the, the guy with the acoustic guitar couldn't really play <laughs> and couldn't really sing but god really broke in yeah. and it wasn't about the music and it wasn't about competency and people will uh, their faces will light up as they tell me these stories about the good old days yeah now i don't know if you experienced the good old days or if we should mm. even call it that but the question that i've got is are we in danger sometimes local churches of choosing people for how competent they are and how much we can replicate that sound on the record and are we sometimes in danger of losing the kind of heart behind it and recognizing that god can actually use bad music as much as he can use good music um i think when the music fades and all is stripped away that is exactly what you're talking about and of course that's that's a fantastic song matt and the the sense that 
what is worship and what are we really all about is vital. Now, big conversation again, Sam, because some churches really want you to mimic what's on the record. Well, maybe that goes some way to answering the question of why does it all sound the same? Not because they're mimicking, but because those people are seeing the record as being creative and they don't want to mimic where it all sounds the same, actually, because they're recognising the production value and they actually want to do that line that was really quite clever uh, so that it sounds to the people in our church the way we've experienced that song on the CD and it can be a good thing. But the idea, like I referenced with Jake Isaac, that when all the power goes off, everyone knows the song and the worship just just goes through the ceiling is also true. Because what is it that's in our hearts? Are we worshipping the worshipper? No, we're worshipping the Lord. You know, Is it about the music? No, of course not. Um, it's not about getting your music right so your worship is right, for goodness sake. It's got to be about your heart and who you are worshipping. And I think the, nom- the idea of you know putting instruments down and making it unplugged, making it raw now and then, is of great value. I mean, small group worship is difficult sometimes because you feel a little bit, um, well, if there's like 10 of you, you can feel a little bit like you're all being listened to. <laughs> but ultimately, in a small group, if you can get to the point where you're comfortable to sing with your friends, mm. um, where there's nothing much going on apart from a guitar, well, the Lord can really speak to you in that moment. So um, what's been the best day of your career so far and what's been the worst day? I, I, I suspect that some of the best days are where you see you're you're at a, at some event or at a church and you see a song that you've played a small part in that's really connecting with people and you go, yeah, Lord, because when I moved from that job to this job, my heart was to continue the ministry and you've just given me a moment of reminding me that what you've been involved with is is ministering it is touching a life and so it's a value and so therefore you know keep going that's probably the best time then the worst times are where relationship stuff where you're working with people and where there's a little bit of a moment where um miscommunication and you think oh okay do you know what nobody ever actually set out to get anything wrong here but we just need to fix this. I think that's the difficult time because because it's ministry, right? And so out of all of this, you're looking for God to be glorified and for songs to be sung and for churches to be... <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, we just need to slow down now and just fix this. That's a shame because our heart is never to get that wrong. So I think that's probably the worst yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Now, I'm afraid we've got to talk about money, Phil. You're welcome. Because uh, this is the question that some people have and they, mm. and they say they can't quite get their head around it when it comes to writing worship music because... Mm-hmm. Sometimes you look at an artist and you think, wow, you know, their songs are being sung everywhere. There must be huge amounts of money in it. And sometimes there is. And other times there's actually across the music world, across the music business, really, really hard to scratch out a living. Help us square this circle. Is is there money in worship music or is there not? I think there's a possibility for people who um, write songs and have a level of success and they sell CDs and so on, that they'll be able to have enough money that provides them with an income that allows them to buy another set of guitar strings or to feed their family there's always going to be extremes at both ends but i think the interesting thing around christian music or anything christian is that um it seems appropriate sometimes for us to for me to work in christian music and to earn a salary or whatever but sometimes it can feel inappropriate for somebody for some reason who's written a song for some reason (laughs) to to not benefit and to have to go and do something else to you know continue their gifting 
And so I think it's entirely appropriate that people involved in all areas of Christian ministry, um, you know, it's the gospel that's free. We, uh, you know, that that always. I mean, that was with no compromise. It was three pounds on the door, Sam. <laughs> um, and the strapline was, if you can't pay, just say, and we'll let you in. <laughs> and some and youth leaders used to come to me and say, why are you charging three pounds? Your gospel's free. <laughs> and I would say, you are absolutely right, and that's why your young people can come in if they can't afford it. So, but you just need to know the gospel's always free, and I'll tell that to you right now. But the PA and the lights in <laughs> the room, <Cost> money. <laughs> that's quite expensive. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I think the, the journey around money is the one that shouldn't be shied away from. But I think it's wonderful today that through CCLI and through other ways and means that the songwriter can be honoured and valued. But at some level... With the financial conversation, we always struggle, don't we, in church world in general around money. But but there is nothing wrong mm. with a, with somebody who writes something being recompensed for that. Mm. Sure. I, I guess for some people, though, it's just when the numbers get kind of astronomical. And again, this isn't a songwriter's fault, is it, if they write a song and it goes all around the world. But if you've got, you know, every evangelical church in the world, more or less, singing a song, that's a huge amount of money that's going to come back to an artist, isn't it? Well, astronomical is your words, not mine. Um and it's all, um, you know, you have to look at the grading of all of these things. So some people uh, would be blessed and then I wonder what they do with that money. Now, that's an interesting question. So I think to, to whom much is given, mm. etc. And is that where a dynamic comes in with you being a Christian record label where you can kind of have those conversations? And I, I guess from your point of view, it'd be like, well, it's not wrong to earn a lot of money, but what are we What are we, or what are you going to actually do with it? Well, I think that what you find, which is wonderful, of course, in general in church world, is you have songwriters and you have people that have got a, a whole team of people around them and they have advisors and they have wise people. And so often we find that amazing decisions and, and, and wisdom comes into the room. Um, but the point is that the majority of Christian songwriters don't make a lot of money at all. And one of the gifts with integrity music is we're, we're asking ourselves a question that says, um, if it's Jerusalem, Samaria, ends of the earth, and we know some of the big songs travel, what about Jerusalem? And so the journey for songwriters in the local church is how do you give those people a platform hmm. to help their songs to travel? And so we looked into this and we thought, well, it's not just English speaking songwriters it's songwriters everywhere and um i think the idea that so we set up a website isn't really a, isn't really a solution but um we did so we set up a thing called we are worship song share and we said to people around the world look if you want to put your song up for free you know and let people know about it and share it on social media you're welcome and um we've got songs that I keep adding to that site all the time and so i think the journey for us with integrity music is is to focus as much on the jerusalem songs as it is to focus on your ends of the earth songs mm. um and by doing that i think we begin to talk about this um, the priesthood of all beliefs we, we 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 tend to see the church as one and they've all got a part to play mm. and that's a challenge for us in the ministry side of what yeah. we do uh, how do you deal with the the question i mean I, i've asked this of people who kind of work who are worship leaders or work and soul survivor and they always have some really interesting mm. answers because um one would like to think this isn't too widespread but i'm sure there are some young people maybe 17 years old go to something like soul survivor or a mm. big event and they do see a you know a well-known christian worship leader and they mm. think I want to be that person. Mm. Um, and I can speak from experience having interviewed many of these uh, well-known people. They're mm. incredibly humble people. They really are, these mm. songwriters who, who you're mentioning, worship leaders. And they never got into it to be on a big platform. Mm. And yet this is sometimes how it's modelled to young people, rightly or wrongly. They look at a big platform and they mm. think, oh, I'd like to be that person up there. How, mm. do you, how do you manage that practically? How do you... 
make sure people have the right heart and are coming from the right place. And it's not about fame or I want a record deal, but they actually want to serve the church. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Well, a lot, a lot of this, of course, within well, what Integrity Music does is it's publisher and it's we, we help promote their songs. When it comes to the local person who looks on a stage and sees somebody, then what you're looking for is discipleship. You're looking for a quality of teaching and leadership around that young person that has balanced that seesaw. Who are you as a person? Who have you got around you? What's your discipleship like? And I don't think it's in... I, you know, I'm going to be careful around this next sentence. Integrity music have a responsibility to make sure those things are being cared for. But there's also a sense with the worship leader that their their youth leader, their parent, their guardian, the people that are around them that are closest, there's a responsibility on those people too. Mm. Because um, what we can do is become part of somebody's journey mm. and we will take responsibility for what we need to take responsibility for. But there's a sense of, actually, this person needs to be helped and nurtured and, and grown. And we've seen that, haven't we, through mm. the work of many of the events you mentioned. Yeah. Where there's I, guess, I guess the question comes when, when you're signing someone. Is this, yeah. is this part of the thinking of actually, yeah. okay, they can write great songs, but I guess you're aware, as part of your responsibility yeah. as label, is we could give this someone quite significant platform. Are they, do they have the right attitude to deal with it, I guess? Yeah, you, Especially uh, if they're younger. You are right in what you've just said. There's a journey with A&R, our A&R teams, which then becomes part of the whole of the integrity team because things get shared in, you know, in what we do, that they will have been on that journey for years, potentially, actually, before things happen. And in that time, behind the scenes, that's when relationships are being moulded or shaped or grown or... Or just you're just getting to know mm. people, aren't you? And it's through that process that then you you begin to filter and you begin to see well who has God mm. got His hand on? Yeah. How is it going? So the the journey of of, of, of ch- the challenge, if you like, is that it is a journey, and that what somebody might see happening today might have been started five years ago. Mm. So tell me, who are the people in the UK that you're excited about at the moment and you're working with? Well, I'm excited about many people, and I think that the interesting thing for me is there's a bank of rivers and robots that, are, that are, we're, we're working with who are um, going to be you, I mean you can already go on Spotify now and you can stream their early songs and their early albums incredible uh, Junior Gar who's actually based in Nashville uh, you're going to love that Danny Callahan, uh, Davis Tent he, he led there um, there's, there's, there's an array of people but I think what's interesting is this whole conversation around where should Christian worship music be mm. as well because there's lots of songwriters coming out who are saying, right, I'm a songwriter, I'm a Christian. I want my music to be where music is. Mm-hmm. And so that means uh, Premier as much as it means Radio 2. Mm-hmm. It means Radio 1 as much as it means, I don't know, Heart FM, whatever. And I think the journey for us now, which we love, by the way, is this sense that Christian music doesn't need to be stuck within the world, the walls of Christian music. There are songs that will be sung in churches and there are songs that will be sung outside of church. Jake Isaac's classic with that. He really challenged my thinking on this, actually. But he, you know, whenever he sings a song, he's just saying, there are songs I sing over people and there are songs that we sing together in church. Mm, yeah. But it is all my worship. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I love that. I love that because it's, it gets right back to missional evangelism. It gets back to the gospel and it gets back to impacting these people. You know, I was at this event and I started out by singing Amazing Grace because they, they did that thing, which is... Um, <laughs> Here's somebody from Integrity Music and and you sort of sit there going, No, it's just me <laughs> And so I thought, Well I haven't got much, I haven't got very clever things to say, but I'll just start singing Amazing Grace and they all started to sing. And I said, Look, we can sing Amazing Grace and then we can find any other song beginning with A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it's like we can keep singing till the cows come home because we know these songs. 
and because it's our curriculum in our hearts. And I think for me, being part of a song mm. and someone's journey of life mm. where in 25 years' time they'll still be singing that song is an absolute, oh, it's a privilege. It's been wonderful to have Phil Loose as my guest on the show today. I do hope you enjoyed that interview. We mentioned a couple of other uh, conversations during that interview you've just heard. I have interviewed Les Moyer. That's available on this podcast. Just search back through. If you enjoyed that chat with Phil, I think you'll also really enjoy the conversation I had with Les Moyer. And the other one you might want to check out is the profile conversation that I had with Martin Smith, formerly of Delirious, both about his time in that band and his uh, solo career since both of those available on the profile podcast along with over 100 other interviews with well-known christians from around the world so do check out the archive if you haven't already we will see you next time